the luxurious flagship of the French Massageries Maritimes ship line set off on its maiden voyage from France to China and Japan. While there were several bomb threats against the ship, the threat to the ship's safety turned out to be internal, in the wiring that ran through all of the well-appointed cabins full of flammable carpeting, curtains, and furniture. It would only take an electrical short to cause the ship to turn from a floating palace into a deadly inferno. Hello, and welcome to the Shipwreck Archive. Thank you. Would you happen to have the fiery death of the Georges Philippar? Here we are. Enjoy! There was music and laughter on the ship. The party that had been organized to celebrate Pentecost was still going even though it was two in the morning. The Georges Philippar was a brand new luxurious ship, and those traveling on board of her were enjoying everything that she had to offer as she sailed near the Horn of Africa. Captain Vic was not a part of the celebration, however. He had just received the worst possible news from one of the female passengers. She had seen the fire. Though the fire-fighting apparatus on the ship was brought to fight the blaze, it was too late. The fire roared through the cabins of the ship, spreading faster than anyone on board could have ever imagined. Most of the passengers were still not even aware that the ship was on fire. The passengers who were not still at the party were asleep in their cabins due to the late hour. The fire had started to grow to such a size that any thought of putting it out was quickly abandoned, and soon everyone would be doing their best to escape the ship in whatever way they could. There had been warnings that something might happen to the George Philippar before she had ever left on her doomed maiden voyage. The Massageries Maritime's newest passenger ship had been designed to be a showpiece of their company, and it drew attention accordingly. She had cost one million pounds to build and furnish, was 17,000 tons, and bore the name of the company's president. The French police alerted the company that this made her a target for bomb plots in an era when there was a large public fear of attacks orchestrated by communist agents. The shipping line would take this warning seriously and inspect the ship in every port that she stayed in for bombs, and the crew remained on high alert. But bombs were not the only warnings that was given about the Georges Philippar. A more prophetic warning came from those who told the Massageries Maritimes Company that the wiring of the ship had problems with short circuits, a warning that they seemed less inclined to act upon. This was a troubling oversight, since the Georges Philippar was built to replace the ship, the Paul Lecat, which had also burned. Not only that, 
but there had been a fire on the Georges Philippar while she was being fitted out at St. Nazaire. Though it had been extinguished and the damage had been repaired before any passengers boarded her. At first, the voyage of the Georges Philippar was relatively uneventful as she traveled to China and Japan through the Suez Canal. Captain Vick would later say that there had been an instance once on the outbound voyage where an alarm bell had rung without reason in the officers' quarters. And he said that it had happened again right before the fire had been found. The safety batteries were also found to be entirely dry on the outbound voyage. Though disregarded at the time that they occurred, people would later point to them as early warnings that something was wrong. As the ship arrived in Chinese waters, things became a little more difficult. With Japan and China in a state of conflict, in what would later be known as the Shanghai Incident, the French government asked that the Georges Philippar remain anchored in the Wangpu River in order to help evacuate French nationals should the need arise. This was truncated, however, when new bomb plot rumors arose targeting the ship, this time by the Chinese. It was soon whispered through the region that the reason that the Georges Philippar was really there was because it was carrying munitions for Japan as part of its cargo. With it no longer safe for the ship to remain in those waters, the Georges Philippar departed the area quickly, headed towards the Suez Canal ahead of schedule. She would be on her way from Colombo, Salem to Djibouti in what was then French Somaliland, when disaster would strike. There would be two main versions of how the fire started. One would say that it started near the captain's quarters, while another would say that it started in an empty first-class cabin. Either way, it would soon find the luxurious trappings of the well-appointed first-class cabins and take hold. The carpets and curtains that had made the cabins look so appealing were suddenly shown to be dangerously flammable. The wood paneling of the passages of the ship and the wooden stairs now also started to burn. At first, Captain Vick had been reluctant at the idea of alarming the passengers, even as it seemed less and less likely that the fire could be stopped. Finally, after about an hour fighting the blaze, he ordered that the ship's two large diesel engines be stopped, the alarm to be sounded, and an SOS to be sent out. He now began to grow worried about the large amount of oil the ship was carrying as fuel and what would happen if the fire should reach it. The stopping of the engines occurred without incident, but the other two tasks proved more difficult. The sounding of the alarm would prove to be one of the most controversial matters of the ship burning. Many people said that they never heard the alarm, and only were alerted to the burning of the ship by the smoke and flames. By this time, Many of the passengers, especially on the D-deck, with the first-class cabins, were already trapped by the fire. There would be many complaints later that the alarms had been either sounded too late 
or that they had been drowned out by the sounds of celebration that was still going. Some said that the alarms were never sounded at all, but this seems unlikely. It was just a case of too little, too late. The other issue was sending the SOS. This was completely impossible by the time that it was attempted. As they attempted the signal, the wireless room became engulfed in flames and they were forced to retreat. They were lucky, therefore, that the Gulf of Aden is not a place where other ships are likely to be far. The first ship to spot the burning ship was a Russian oil tanker, the Sovietskaya Nafta, followed closely by the English ship the Contractor. These two ships immediately rushed to the aid of the Georges Philippar and sent out the call for more ships to come to help. Things were complicated for the Sovietskaya Nafta, which had to keep its distance even though it was the first to reach the stricken ship, since as an oil tanker, it had to keep its distance from the growing inferno. Instead, it sent boats to pull people from the water and stood off to take on as many of the lifeboats that reached it. The Japanese ship, the Hakone Maru, and the British ship, the Masud, soon joined in the rescue efforts in response to the distress call. With the people on the D-deck no longer able to leave their cabins due to the flames and smoke, Captain Vack made the difficult decision to order the closing of the watertight doors to the deck to prevent a greater spread of the fire. He also turned the ship's head into the wind so that the fire and smoke would be pushed towards the stern of the ship, trying to give the passengers and crew a place where they could safely stand as long as possible. This did not mean that those who were trapped by the fire all perished. Many of them jumped straight from their stateroom portholes into the water below, in the hopes of rescue. Some of those who jumped already had their clothing on fire. The heat on the ship was becoming oppressive, and people began to climb down ropes slung over the side of the ship to escape it. At around three in the morning, the first lifeboats reached the Sovietskaya Nefta, and soon more would follow. The launching of the lifeboats on the Georges Philippar proved to be painfully difficult. The fire turned some of them to ash before they could be reached, while as they launched others, the ropes burned, causing them to capsize and fall, throwing people into the ocean. The only way that some of the lifeboats were launched was by spraying them down with water so that they would not burn before escaping the ship. As the rescue boats of the ships standing by began to arrive, the people who had been hanging from the ropes and those in the ocean were slowly brought to safety. To hinder the progress of the ship's evacuation, it was later stated by the passengers that there had never been a fire drill or a lifeboat drill while they were on the ship. Though there were no allegations of chaos or people acting badly as they attempted to leave the ship, there would later also be no kind words for most of the crew from the passengers about how the matter had been handled and their lack of preparation for such an event.
At around eight in the morning, Captain Vack allowed himself to be taken from the ship by one of the boats from the contractor. When asked if there was anyone else left on board, he only offered a curt no. By now, the ship was an inferno with little left of the glorious new ship that had attracted its passengers. The cost of human life was becoming increasingly clear. Though the final number of dead is undetermined due to the people not boarding when they were intended in Shanghai, the final loss of life is estimated to be somewhere between 40 or 50 people, while some sources put it higher. Though still burning and abandoned, the Georges Philippar would continue to remain above the water for the next couple of days before sinking near Ras Bagashu. A salvage tug attempted to connect to her and bring her to a shoreline, but the fire was still so strong that it was impossible. When she sank, there was no sign above the water that she had ever existed. And with her went $160,000 of gold bullion that had been loaded on in Saigon. The passengers who were rescued were brought into Aden, where some of them were immediately rushed to the hospital, suffering from severe burns or exposure from spending too long in the water before they were saved. That did not include those who collapsed simply from exhaustion and shock after what they had just gone through. Though some passengers had made it from the burning ship, some of them succumbed to their wounds afterwards. The final death connected to the Georges Philippar would be a couple that was trying to return to France after their ordeal. Choosing not to take another ship, they instead decided to fly the rest of the way only to have the small plane that they were flying in crash outside of Rome, claiming both of their lives. This left taking stock of what had been lost, something made more difficult with the newspapers publishing rumors and speculation. It was initially reported that Dr. Alfred Zay, the Chinese delegate to the League of Nations, had been on board had never set foot on the doomed boat and had been in London the entire time. The investigative journalist, Albert Lundres, however, was on the Georges Philippar, and he would never leave it. It was initially published by the papers that one of the Chinese bomb threats had succeeded. But as those who had been rescued came on shore and told their stories, it became more and more clear that it had been nothing that deliberate. A government inquest would finalize this as fact. The Georges Philippar had not fallen victim to any bomb plot or sabotage. It had suffered from an electrical failure. Captain Vack would claim that there had been multiple shorts all at the same time, but the shipyard had responded that this was entirely impossible. All the same, it was ruled an electrical fire. To the disappointment of some since the courts had already declared that no claims could be made by the survivors or the families of the dead if it was an accidental fire instead of arson. With this, they closed the investigation, exonerating Captain Vack and his crew of any wrongdoing.
for Leon Meyer, the minister of the merchant marine, the matter was not closed. He had tried previously to make it so that trained firefighters had to be on board all French passenger vessels, but had been refused. He was still troubled by the thought that the Georges Philippar had been only the latest in several French ships to burn in the recent past. Instead, he issued a new guideline for the building of all passenger ships. Ships from then on could only have stairs, lifts, ladders, bridges, or wireless rooms made out of metal, not wood. Ceilings were made to be non-flammable from then on, as were floors, and the curtains and carpeting in cabins had to be made fire-resistant. There were also new rules for how the wiring on ships was allowed to be done. It was a set of regulations that had clearly been made with the Georges Philippar in mind when it was drafted. Particularly haunted by the fiery death of the Georges Philippar was a man who had not been on its final voyage, but rather was the man whose name it bore. The Messagerie's Maritimes line offered their company president another ship with his name, to be the Georges Philippar II, but he refused. With his name now carrying such a legacy, he did not want to see another ship with the same name. When he died, he told his heirs to sink the elaborate and accurate model of the ship he had been presented when the Georges Philippar had been built in the ocean. They obeyed his wishes, and the model of the ship of the Georges Philippar also sank beneath the waves, ensuring there was nothing left of the ill-fated ship. For more information on the accusations made by the passengers on the handling of the fire, please see the Georges Philippar story on page 9 of the Brisbane Telegraph, Friday, May 20th, 1932, or our other sources in the description below. Thank you for listening. Thank you for visiting the Shipwreck Archives. See you soon.